to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking this morning at verses 14 to 17. Again, Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. This is the Word of God. Listen to it. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, dear Lord, that Jesus, your Son, is the eternal word. And we thank you, dear Lord, for the words uh, that we have just read this morning. For those words which he uh, gently spoke to the disciples of John the Baptist. Lord, he spoke in parables. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding, that you would illumine our minds and our hearts. Help us, Lord, uh, to know your word and to know uh, what you have spoken to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage of last week's sermon, we read uh, about Jesus being approached, uh, rather his disciples being approached by the Pharisees. Jesus, you'll remember, was reclining at table with Matthew and with some of Matthew's friends. They were tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees had been observing this. Somehow they were looking through a window or looking through a door and they saw what Jesus was doing. And so they don't come to Jesus, they come to his disciples. And they say to his disciples, why does Jesus, why does your master eat with tax collectors and with sinners? And you'll remember Jesus' response. He says to them uh, that he comes not uh, to heal the healthy, but to heal the sick. A physician is for the sick. Not the healthy. Well, John the Baptist now sends his disciples. They come to Jesus in a similar fashion. They have a question of him. They don't understand what Jesus is doing here. The Pharisees had a question about his behavior, and now the disciples of John the Baptist have a question about his behavior. And this man, John the Baptist, the man who baptized him, who said of Jesus, uh, who's, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. This man's disciples now come to Jesus with a question. We fast. The Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not. Why is this, they say. But Jesus, he doesn't rebuke John's disciples in the same way that he rebuked the Pharisees. He simply answers their question with another question. He says to them, can, can the wedding guests mourn as long as their bridegroom is with them? The bridegroom's presence is no time for mourning, Jesus says. His disciples need to take every opportunity to celebrate with him while they have him there. Because there will come a time 
when he will be taken away. And so this morning I would ask you as we consider these verses to think about this, that Jesus is the bridegroom. He is your bridegroom. And he lavishes upon you as his bride precious gifts. Jesus is the bridegroom. He is your bridegroom. And he lavishes upon you as his bride precious gifts. I've divided this passage into two sections, verses 14 and 15, to fast or feast. In verses 16 and 17, clothing and wineskins. Again, 14 and 15, to fast or feast. And then verses 16 and 17, clothing and wineskins. So let's look first at uh, the first two verses, verses 14 and 15. Now many of you are probably aware of this, that it was the practice of the Pharisees to regularly fast uh, in that day when they were uh, active around the time of Jesus. They fasted on Mondays and on Thursdays. Every week they did this. And based on this passage, and on Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, for which, which says, For John came neither, neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. Based on that passage, based on our passage before us this morning, it appears that it was the regular, uh, regular practice of John's disciples uh, to engage in fasting as well. This does not mean that there is an allegiance between the Pharisees and John's disciples. The words of John the Baptist to the Pharisees is all too vivid. He says in chapter 3, verse 7, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath of come, but wrath to come. Obviously, he and the Pharisees didn't agree on much, but they seemed to share convictions about the, the importance of fasting. And so, since fasting, it superseded, it, it, it somehow overcame their rivalry. They shared this common interest in fasting. It would seem that it is the, the established norm of God's people in the first century. And so they're confused. The disciples of John are confused. They don't understand why Jesus and his disciples wouldn't fast as well. But while John's disciples, they question Jesus and his followers' behavior, they don't go about it in the same way that the Pharisees did. And we've pointed this out already. The Pharisees questioned Jesus through his disciples. But Jesus knew their thoughts. They, he knew their hearts. And so he answered them directly. But when John's followers questioned him, they went straight to Jesus. There is a, there's, a, there's a relationship there. There's a form of fellowship there. They know they can go straight to the master himself and ask him why it is that his disciples don't fast. And so Jesus' response here in this passage is much more gentle than it was in the previous. He tells them in verse 15, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. Imagine, at your own wedding. Because you see, we're in a different situation than the disciples were. We're not merely the, the guests of the bridegroom. We're the bride itself. The bride herself. Imagine at your own wedding. A refusal to celebrate because of something that's going on. You don't want to participate. You're fasting. It doesn't make sense, does it? And so Jesus uses this logic. Why would they do this? His disciples, had they been fasting, they would have been guilty of being sorrowful during a joyous occasion, during a wedding. Instead, Jesus' disciples feast. They were just feasting with Matthew and his friends. And this is because they are the wedding guests. And the bridegroom is with them. Because he is with them, because he is walking among them, they have been invited to this great wedding banquet. 
But you see, another thing that's going on in this passage is that Jesus equates fasting with mourning, with, with sorrow. He equates it with, with this sorrowful time. And as long as he is with his disciples, there will be no mourning. There will be no sadness. There will be joy. But then at the end of verse 15, he states something very clearly. He says that there will be a time when he, the bridegroom, will be taken away. And when that happens, then his disciples will express their sorrow through fasting. Now, what is Jesus referring to specifically here? He's referring to his death. He's referring to that time where he will be nailed to a cross and he will die. He will breathe his last. And when that happens, his disciples will mourn and they will fast. But what is the extent of their fasting? What is the extent of their mourning? How far does it go? Do they continue in it? No. On the third day when Jesus is raised from the dead, they celebrate. They're astonished when they finally believe that it's happened. They're astonished at what happened. Their their brief time of mourning and fasting is over. They celebrate. It would have been unfitting to mourn while he was still with them, but when he departs, when when he is taken up on the cross, then they will mourn. And it is indeed appropriate. Now we are in a different time than the disciples were uh, then. We're at a time after the resurrection. We're at a different point than what he's referring to in this time of fasting. And we are, as is clearly uh, stated in Scripture, we are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. We're not merely uh, a part of the wedding uh, banquet. We're not merely guests of the bridegroom. We're the bride. But the fact is that we are separated from our bridegroom. And so there is a certain amount of, uh, of sorrowness because he's away. Now, it might be helpful here to view our situation as Christians, uh, as Christians who walk with Jesus uh, from the perspective of a military wife whose husband has been deployed overseas. He's overseas fighting. How many times have we heard of this? As a young couple have just gotten married and months after their wedding, the husband is shipped out and he's sent overseas. We're like the wife who's been left behind. We're like the wife who's eagerly awaiting for her husband to get back, but we're not mourning him. We're not mourning him as if he's died. We're simply waiting for him to return, and we're trusting that he will return. Our hope is that the Lord will send him back. Well, on top of all this, on top of of, uh, this situation where Jesus now, he's ascended into heaven, And we who are his bride, we're waiting for his return. We're not left by ourselves. We're not left, as it were, as orphans. We're not left without a precious gift that the Lord has given to us. When he ascended on high, what did he do? He sent his spirit. He sent his spirit to be with his people, to dwell within his people. And so we have been given this most precious gift And he gives us great joy in the midst of our separation from Jesus because of his spirit. We have joy in the midst of our sorrow. Even though we're separated from our husband, from our bridegroom, we're longing for him to come back, but we have joy. Because the Holy Spirit gives us joy. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. The Holy Spirit is the assurance that Jesus Christ will return, that he will come back. This is how we know, because Christ's spirit lives in us. And so we may fast. We, there are times when it is appropriate for the Christian to fast because of Jesus' absence from us. But we should also remember, we should always remember, 
That there's a great wedding banquet that awaits us. There's a day when we will sit down at the high uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will enjoy this feast. And through the gift of His Holy Spirit, Jesus, He actually feeds us now from the table that is waiting to be set before us. He's feeding us now. And that is our hope. Let's turn now and look at verses 16 and 17. Clothing and wineskin. In these verses, Jesus uses a couple of examples to illustrate the point that He's making. He's made a point. Uh, The wedding guests don't mourn while the bridegroom is with them. When they're away... Uh, When he's away, they will mourn. Well, now he's coming at his point from a different direction. He's coming at it from the direction uh, uh, of uh, reasoning with these disciples of John. He's trying to help them understand why they don't understand. In the previous verses, he's given John's disciples the reason that his disciples didn't fast. And now he illustrates for them the reason that they don't understand on their own why the disciples fast. He says in verse 16, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. What is Jesus saying here? What is he talking about? He's saying, in essence, no one does what you are trying to do. You are trying to put a new piece of cloth on an old garment. What does he mean? John's disciples are attempting to confine Jesus. They're trying to attach him to what is old. The old covenant. They're trying to attach him to the ways that they have practiced. And Jesus is saying, you cannot do this. It will not work. The Pharisees and even John the Baptist's disciples' expectations of Jesus are based upon their own, their their, their old garment understanding of who God is and how he deals with man. But Jesus came to usher in the new covenant. He's bringing it in. And as he said in Revelation 21, verse 5, he says, He has come to make all things new. John's disciples could not comprehend the new covenant because they were still fully under the old covenant. And John the Baptist himself, he is the the prophet. He's the last prophet of the old covenant. And so what Jesus is saying is, you are trying to fit me in with the old program, and I do not fit Don't make me, don't try to make me conform to your expectations for me. Their attempt to have him him conform to their, uh, their life under the old covenant was like putting a new patch of cloth on an old garment. It's going to tear away, it's going to make a bigger hole than was there to begin with. Now John and his disciples were not alone in having expectations for the Messiah, for Jesus. Every religious group within Judaism at this time had expectations for the coming of the Messiah. They were expecting him to come as as a priest who would come in and he would purify the worship of God's people. He would cleanse the temple. He He would make the sacrificial system what it once was and what it needed to be. Some expected him to do this. Others expected Jesus to come in as a king. They wanted him to set up the seat of of government. And they were waiting for him to do this. Well, Jesus did come. He did come as the perfect priest. He came as the perfect king. He came as the greatest prophet of all time. But not in the way that the people of Israel expected him to. And because they were expecting something different, most people overlooked him. 
They didn't notice what was right in their midst. They, he wasn't who they were looking for. Everyone who was expecting the Messiah to come expected him to conform to their own ideas of what the Messiah should be doing. But this is a mistake. It is a mistake to think that you can cause God to conform to your own expectations for him. And this is where C.S. Lewis's depiction of Jesus as the lion, Aslan, in his Narnia books helps us. It helps us to illustrate this. Aslan is a good lion, but he is not a tame lion. He cannot be confined. He cannot be domesticated. And this is certainly true of Jesus. He is good in every way. He is better than you and I can ever imagine. And yet we cannot tame him. He is the Lion of Judah. We cannot expect him to conform to us. He's not going to fit into our own preconceived notions of who he should be. He tells us who he is. And we conform to him. He shapes us. We do not shape him. And this is the point of Jesus' Jesus' last illustration. He says in verse 17, Neither is the new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. The new wine does not conform to the wineskin, does it? The wineskin conforms to the new wine. When it ferments, the wine changes. It, it, It expands. And it forces the container, the wineskin, to conform to it. And if it is a new skin, it will stretch. It will be made to contain the wine as it expands. And in this case, both the new wine and the new wine skin will be preserved, as Jesus says there at the end of verse 17. But if it's an old skin, if it's a skin that's already been stretched out, if it's old, it will not stretch further. And it will break. And the wine will pour out. Jesus' behavior did not fit John the Baptist's disciples' expectations or the Pharisees' expectations. They were fasting. Why weren't his disciples fasting? And this is the kind of question Jesus gets throughout his ministry. It comes over and over again. John and his disciples will continue to be perplexed. And so John sends his disciples again in Matthew chapter 11. They ask Jesus then, Are you the one to come? Who is to come? Or shall we look for another? John is still uncertain here about who Jesus is because he's not conforming to Jesus' expectations. The Pharisees will continue to question Jesus. In chapter 12, they see Jesus' disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. And they say, why do your your disciples do this? They're breaking the law. They do not understand who Jesus is and the newness that he brings. Again and again, Jesus' refusal to conform will cause many people to reject him. And ultimately, his failure to conform to their expectations of the Messiah would lead to his death. Jesus has already alluded to this in verse 15 when he said that the bridegroom would be taken away. He's alluding to his death here. But even though he would be taken away from his disciples, even though he would be hauled before Pontius Pilate, before the high priest, Even though he would be nailed to a cross and put into a tomb, he still would not conform to their expectations. Those who wanted Jesus dead, they thought they finally had him. They thought they they finally forced him to conform to their will when they had taken him down from that cross. They thought that they had finally tamed him. 
But just as new cloth tears open an even greater hole in an old garment, just as new wine rips apart an old wineskin, so Jesus on the third day, He broke through that pa- the power of the old enemy, death itself. And He came forth. The tomb could not contain Him. Death itself could not contain, contain Him. He burst forth from the grave with divine resurrection power. And as our ancient creed so subtly puts it, the third day He rose again from the dead. And because He has broken through the constraints of death, like wine pouring out from a burst wineskin, He has poured out His Spirit upon all of those who believe in Him. And you can see the same language that Jesus uses in verse 17 of this passage, the wine pouring out of this broken wineskin. It's used again in Acts chapter 2, when the, the Apostle Peter describes the pouring out of Christ's Spirit upon His people at Pentecost. Well, this is what happens. We live in the time of the resurrection. Jesus has burst forth. The power of death could not constrain him. And we who trust in the Lord Jesus have been given that same power. The Bible says that the power that raised him from the dead raises us also from the dead. We have been given the gift of the Spirit who dwells in our hearts. And so even though our bridegroom is away from us, sitting at the right hand of the Father and interceding on our behalf, His Spirit lives within us. Jesus did not abandon us when He ascended into heaven. He didn't leave us as orphans on the street. He sent the Spirit of adoption by whom we can cry out, Abba, Father. And all of this results in God's people being in a somewhat strange place. We long for Jesus to return. We're without Him. He's absent from us. But we still have wonderful joy and peace because of Christ's Spirit living in us. Now there are times where we, like John the Baptist's disciples, we will ask questions of Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus didn't rebuke them when they questioned Him. He gives them a gentle answer. But you and I have got to be willing that when Jesus gives us the answer. We've got to be willing not to force Jesus into a box. We must be willing not to try to conform Him. Not to try to make Him fit uh, the image that we have for Him. We must be willing to be conformed in His image. We don't change Jesus. He changes us. We might want to give Jesus, but we, won't, we might want to ask Jesus to give his approval to something that we're doing, some sinful behavior that we're doing. We might, we might want him to stamp it and say, it's okay for you to do this, rather than calling it what it is, a sin. Our desire might be uh, to see Jesus in a light or in a way that Scripture does not allow, does not permit. There are any number of ways in which we might seek to conform Jesus to our own expectations, but Jesus doesn't conform to this. He changes you and He changes me and He shapes us. He makes us who He wants us to be. By His Spirit, He conforms us to Himself. This is sanctification. This is what He does as we walk with Him. And He does this by giving us this most precious gift, the Holy Spirit. When He gives us His Spirit, He clothes us in that new garment of righteousness. He takes away the old He robes us in fresh garments. He transforms us from old wineskins into new ones. And He lives within us. But we must remember 
that we cannot constrain him. He constrains us. And he makes us into his children. This is the blessing and the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. Let us come before him in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that by your spirit, you are changing each of us. You are making us, Lord, into the people, into the person that you want us to be. We pray, Lord, that we would be willing to be conformed. Shape us and mold us, we pray. And use us for your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that your name would be glorified. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.